0: So, we're back in Acts uh, 19 again this morning, uh, Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 21. And the title of uh, our study today is Filled with Confusion. Filled with Confusion. And hopefully, we won't leave here being filled with confusion uh, after this study. Uh, but last time in Acts, we saw that Apollos was at Corinth, um, Paul was at Ephesus. And remember that the disciples that uh, Paul encountered there, that he sought out there, did not know about the Holy Spirit. They said, we don't even know if there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And so Paul uh, schooled them on that, and and they received the Holy Spirit and were baptized. Uh, We saw some dangers of unbelief um, in in the unbelievers in the area, and the Jews, and uh, just the things that were going on in the region. But we saw that there were these guys who went around who tried to be exorcists, (coughs) who their job was. They were called itinerant exorcists. There were these traveling exorcists and and they ended up trying to cast out these demons with the the jesus that paul preaches and if you remember the demon said jesus i know and paul i know but you guys (laughs) uh no and uh they got in uh beat up and and they ran away um uh missing their clothes but we saw that at the end of the chapter that witches and others ended up burning their books and turning to jesus we saw that it was like millions of dollars worth of books and literature that as God was moving and the word of God was freeing these people from their idolatry and their witchcraft. Uh, they burned all the stuff that they used to turn to, all the stuff that they believed in, all the stuff that they chanted and, and used to to try and quote-unquote minister to other people and gain for themselves they burned because they realized that it was wickedness and how that uh, we need to do that with uh, things in our lives that are uh, totally opposed to God. Um, but we saw that one of the last verses says, uh, verse 20 says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed that as people turned to God and as the gospel went out and more people turned that uh, the word grew and it prevailed that uh, it, it, it gained um, a victory in these people's lives. And I know that it can gain victory in our lives because it's, it already has. The fact that we are believers, the fact that we do come to the Scripture, the fact that we do meet together and we do know the Lord is a victory. You know, I'm sure that we can each remember a time in our lives when we were given over to absolute wickedness and there was no victory in our lives. And yet now, um, by the Word of God um, and His Spirit, there there has been a victory there. Um, So if it can happen for you, it can happen for me. I'm sure it can happen uh, for others as well. But a few things as we get into the study today. um, Really, have you ever gotten worked up in an argument? Maybe before you know the Lord, maybe it was easier to get worked up in an argument. Maybe not. I don't know. But by the time you're done, you don't even remember what the argument was all about. You know, I can remember uh, friends in high school where we'd get in fights. And then like, you know, a week later, we'd be like what did we even argue about? Why are we not friends this week? Let's be friends. You know, you'd get all worked up and wouldn't even know what it was about. Or have you ever got sucked into a crowd atmosphere? Maybe you're at a sporting event. Maybe you're not even a big sporting fan, but you're there and you get sucked up and you end up rooting for a team who you never heard for before for that first time. Uh, maybe you're at a concert and, you know, all of a sudden you're crowd surfing or you're getting really into it. Um, I remember the uh, Lord being at a concert and someone... Asking me if I was okay, if I was on drugs, and I said, no, I'm not on anything right now. <laughs> I was just really into the concert, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, that goes to say a lot, I guess. Uh, but, you know, that could be a good or a bad thing. You know, I remember going to hockey games as a kid. I remember going to a Ranger game once um, out on Long Island, and the Rangers and the Islanders are, were very competitive. I don't know what it's like anymore, but uh, the fans would get into a fight in the stadium I remember I don't think I think we we're on like an upper tier but seeing over on the other side all these guys started brawling over a hockey game over a hockey game you know that gets pretty brutal up there I don't know what it's like down here but uh, you know you wear the wrong jersey to a sporting event in New York New Jersey you're in trouble you know a Mets jersey at a Yankees game or vice versa or a Red Sox you're in trouble uh, but I remember there was this concert uh, in the late 90s and towards the end of it, it just—it was supposed to be like peace and love. I think it was like Woodstock '99 or something. But I remember at the end of it, uh, people started burning the place down. They were totally trashing the whole place. There was this element of peace and love, but this mob mentality just grew and grew and grew to the whole place was destroyed. You know, we have this herd mentality, or um, you know, this sheep mentality, this mob mentality that goes along with being human, where is things just start happening and you're around it you get sucked up into it before you know it you know you're throwing a molotov cocktail and you didn't even know what one of those was before the ride started happening uh but hopefully not for you and me if we see that going on it's time to time to leave time to go to the car seventh inning stretch let's go home uh but really you know uh the world preys on this advertising preys on this the media preys on this that you know, you hear one thing, you see it, a bunch of people going somewhere, and you keep doing the same thing. Have you ever been driving in a toll booth, and there will be a couple people in one toll line, but then there will be a hundred people in another toll line, and it's just herd mentality. You just get behind the longest line, and, you know, a few people that are paying attention get in the smaller lines, you know? It's just this herd mentality that goes on it. Um, you know, if you ever heard of those little creatures, lemmings, where supposedly they follow each other, and they fall off a cliff just because the guy in front of them, they're just following the person in front of them, and they went off a cliff, and they went off a cliff, and so on and so forth. I remember there was a video game about that as a kid, but I think we're going to see some of that today. This herd mentality, this mob mentality, that as we see another riot around Paul and around the gospel gets whipped up, that the mob gets whipped up, and it causes a lot of trouble and strife. But with that, um, sort of a, it's related, but it's really a different question. You know, what do you treasure most? What do you treasure most in life? Uh, You know, with what tools, what resources, social ideas, or things of that nature do you make your living off of? If, uh, you know, I'd say if the internet went down, I don't know if I can make a living. You know, I don't know what I would do to make a living. I don't really have another trade. My trade relies on the internet and the well-being of people wanting websites and well-being of people wanting graphics and wanting to support um, uh, their business with advertising this way. When the recession hit, started hitting, uh, probably around 2008, the market really got hard for people in my industry because a lot of people the advertising budgets were cut so they weren't spending as much on on advertising anymore or spending much on uh, websites and stuff anymore or even with the tech bubble you know someone like me would be making three times as much money doing what I'm doing now when the tech bubble is happening because people had all this money to blow in the late 90s there was all this unknown technology and then it burst and people stopped paying so much for it anymore uh, but granted, you know, you still make a lot of money. You know, I don't. A lot of people work hard with their hands. I work with my fingertips. You know, so I'm not complaining. But um, sincerely, you know, people. Some people are dependent on certain industries. You hear about these coal miners um, uh, recently who, uh, you know, the coal industry is in trouble and they're losing their job because their whole community is built around the coal industry. So when the coal industry dries up or gets uh, regulated out of business. While the whole community is affected, um, so with that, you know, people need X, so I make X. You know, you see need in the market and you pursue that that's a lot of what entrepreneurs do is that they see a need in the market and they pursue that you know their passion necessarily isn't making widget x but they see a need in the market and so they make it and that's what their life is but with that uh, let's pray once again and we'll get into uh, the meat of our study here Uh, father we thank you again for your word that god um, with it uh, despite what the economy says despite what others say God, your word is true and it's real. And in fact, the fact that other other things go on and other things fail, your word never fails. Uh, It's just more and more evidence that it's true and real. Um, And we thank you for its effect and its work in our life. We pray that you would uh, work it in our lives today, that you would need it into our lives. Uh, uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Acts 19, verse 21, and we'll read uh, to verse 27 to start. Says uh, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, "After I have been there, I must also see Rome." So he went into Macedonia. Uh, so he went into Macedonia. Uh, two of those who, mi- sorry, excuse me, he sent. That's why it wasn't making sense to me. He sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to, to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see in here that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are, they are not gods, which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all asia and the world worship and we'll stop there for now um you know he says that uh, right away he says when these things were accomplished you know we talked about the last chapter about paul at ephesus about uh, the witchcraft the people turning about the exorcists and them getting beat up but as the gospel was going out and paul and the other guys were ministering in the area and people were coming to the lord um those things had to be accomplished before this this next uh turn of events would happen you know i think that god always has a plan and a timing for things and sometimes this plan uh needs to play out before we can move on to the next thing and sometimes it doesn't make any sense you know we don't even know that the the thing we're doing is going to be finished and accomplished but god has it has it going Um, You know, I can remember uh, being stuck in a job, uh, uh, you know, it was a good job looking back on it, but I felt stuck there uh, in 2005, just newly saved, you know, had like an hour and a half commute. Um, just I just wasn't happy you know a lot of it had to do with immaturity and things of that nature but I felt like I was never going to get out of it that I was always going to be stuck in this industry that I was never going to be able to get out and and do something else or work closer to home or be involved in ministry or these other things and it was just this this funk I was in for a while you know but you know what that season is long gone that season is long gone Um, you know and and since looking back I wish I did better in that season I wish I was uh, more faithful in that season of my life because uh, uh, worrying about it being over was a problem uh, or ever been without a job. There's been seasons when I've been without a job and I think I never get out of it. You know, you can't see the forest with the trees, so to speak. Um, but that season's come and gone and there may be another season like that in the future. Right? You know, who knows? Who knows what could happen in the economy? Um, thankfully, my job's going well. God's giving me favor there, you know, um, and I like my job and it, it's uh, not a bad commute. So, I'm not really I don't want it to be over really so to speak but if there may be a day when it is but you know I think sometimes circumstances or dead or seasons in our life you know I remember thinking about being back in school and thinking oh school will never be over I can't wait for school to be over you know if Gabby was in here she might say I can't wait for school to be over my daughter the other day is you know she's talking about having a backpack and going to school I'm like yeah it's not as much fun as you think it is you know it sounds like a lot of fun now but when you get there it's a little different Uh, or you know maybe seasons in life whatever they are being single being married you know how long is this going to be lord um you know but i think sometimes we get stuck in this idea that there's no light at the end of the tunnel that there's no light at the end of the season uh but just know that with the lord it's a tunnel you know that it's not a grave you know if if you're in a hole and there's no light in it it's probably a grave but if there's light at the end of the tunnel it's it's going to be over soon you're you're working through it just keep walking keep going keep moving um, and then there's always a light at the end when it's with the Lord. In fact, there's always a light with us and always a light within us when the Lord's with us. Even if we can't see the end of it. Um, I don't know if you guys, what is that? The, is that the Chesapeake Bay Bridge? Or, you know, if you go down to North Carolina in 95 and it's like bridge, tunnel, bridge, tunnel, bridge, tunnel. You think this thing is never going to be over with. Um, uh, but it is and it will be. Um, but we see here that when this, these things were accomplished, I got ahead a plan for these things to happen. And now this chapter, as we're going to get into it, is going to happen. Um, that God had a plan for it. And God didn't allow this to happen until the last chapter had taken place and that people had been affected for the gospel. But we see that through this, Paul begins to purpose in the Spirit. And I believe that he's purposefully planning in the Spirit. You know, as he would say in Galatians (coughs) 5.16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But that as we live this life with Jesus, that we're walking in the Spirit. We're purposing in our life things by the Spirit, and we're purposing spiritual things, and, and not in the sense of this idea of modern-day purpose with self-will, but as we spend time in prayer, as we spend time in study and fellowship with the Lord, you know, He begins to put things on our heart. You know, our eyes begin to be open to things, and so we purpose to do them. You know, He begins to, perhaps in your relationship, He opens your eyes to how you can be a better husband or a better wife, or how to be a better parent. You realize, oh, I really wasn't listening to my kids today. Let me purpose in the Spirit to be a better parent today, or uh, be a better employer employee or to reach out to people you've never reached to, whatever it is. Um, not that you've come up with this list on your own, but as you spend time with the Lord, he begins to lay things on your heart. And so I believe that's what's happening here with Paul, that as he's spending time with the Lord and ministering, God begins to put this desire on his heart to go to Rome. that he purposes to go there. Um, you know, uh, this word purpose is to, is to set in place or put in place, to put down, to lay down, to bend down. Um, even the, the, the idea of laying aside money, now, let's say you purpose on going vacation this summer, or um, you know, uh, we know where uh, the baby's coming uh, in October, Lord willing. So I'm purposing to, to lay aside a lot of my vacation time for that season so that I'll have extra time um, uh, with them. You know, I'm not, not going to blow it on a, just a Friday off to do nothing, but to save it for when the baby comes. Um, and that's the idea here, that they're going to, to establish or ordain this thing that's going on, this thing that's on his heart. And again, I don't think it's the idea of this purpose-driven life that's become so popular, um, where purpose itself defines us. Uh, but I believe it's where the Spirit defines our purpose, and the Spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit, and our definition is simply walking with Jesus every day, like the song we sang. It's an everyday kind of love. Every morning I'm in it. Every evening I'm in it. As we spend time with the Lord, that he begins to put things in our path that we purpose to accomplish um, as a good servant and as a good follower of Him. But we know that Paul is not going to see Rome for a little while. If you flip ahead a few chapters, you'll begin to see that eventually he'll head there and he appeals to Caesar. Um, But it wasn't God's plan for him. Um, You know, it's in fact where Paul finishes out his race uh, is in Rome, uh, his life. But Paul sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him. He sends out these leaders, these men he could trust, these envoys ahead of him to the next region uh, into Macedonia. And he says even about Timothy Philippians 2:2021 20, he says for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own not the things of Christ Jesus that Paul knows that these men as he sends before him that these men are, are have the same goal that he has the same purpose to to follow the Lord and pursue the things of the Lord and to carry out and set aside the things of the Lord in their lives and hey, that if he sends them ahead of him, he knows it's just as good as him going first. That he knows that, that they're going to take care of it. You know, you think of guys like Joshua and Caleb who checked out the Promised Land. They went with all these other guys, but they were the ones who came back with a good report. They were the ones who went on ahead and spied out the land. And not that these guys are spying out the land, so to speak, but this idea of that these men who are spiritual, who can trust, who can go out before you and follow them. And I think that's important in any ministry. That as we serve together, as we follow the Lord together, that um when we go out and do stuff together that we would be of the same mind and uh in fact that when we do ask others to go and serve uh and do something for us that you know we trust them and we know that that they're going to go ahead um, um and do things the right way in the spiritual way and i think that that's important you know just to touch on roles in the church or ministries or even among pastors even you know that that there are these different roles that are important you know I I've heard a lot about vision pastors or executive pastors and, and I get that in a, in a in a way I don't know if I totally agree with the model but Uh, what do I know? But I think if you you have a senior pastor or assistant pastor um, or pastors over worship or over kids or over whatever, you have deacons and elders, that there is this order and this hierarchy. But again, it's this main direction defined by God, spearheaded by the the man that God has in charge, that although God was working in Paul's life, God was purposing these things in in Paul's heart, that these men were just as much a part of that purpose, that these men uh, were serving the Lord just as much as Paul was. But Paul was, in a sense, calling, um the shots here i believe uh, you know he was the leader of their band of brothers but it says at verse 23, about that time, you know, that about that time, this commotion arose up about the way. And you think about it, that, uh, you know, any time that God begins to purpose in you, begins to lead you out somewhere, that there's going to be a commotion, that there's going to be a commotion, that something always tends to come up when we begin to follow the Lord, or God begins to put a call in our life, or, hey, why don't you step up and do this, or step out and do that. Something always comes to be, you know, even the Lord tells this story in Luke 14, 16 through 24, he says, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they with all one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And so another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men are invited shall taste my supper. And we could go down a long path and get a lot out of that area of Scripture, obviously, some the Lord said. But I think what I want to take away is that, you know... People come up with excuses as soon as there's a call, as soon as there's an opportunity in our life. But we make up excuses too. And when God presents us with something and calls us with something, and in a sense, that's the type of opposition that the flesh is is always going to want to oppose us. Whether it's the flesh in other people, whether it's the flesh in ourselves, that as God begins to call us and, and lead us out, that there's always going to be a reason to say no or not to go. And I think that let not our excuses. Um, uh, let not these excuses or this opposition come at our own hand, Um, you know, that we're going to face opposition as we step out, as we go out, that people aren't going to like what we have to say and what we have to do, Um, you know, and sometimes that comes from within and sometimes that comes uh, from without, you know, and again, I think also as soon as things are going good, all these people are getting saved, God's doing work, people are turning to the Lord, Um, you know, watch out that, you know, something's going to happen. You know, as soon as life feels like everything's perfect, you know, don't get too comfortable. Know that something's going to happen. That's at least the experience in my life. Um, you know 1st Corinthians ten twelve talks about spiritual pride you know therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall that there's this warning to us that when we think we're doing okay on ourselves spiritually that we need to watch out because we're probably missing a big thing but I think we can apply that uh, here as well to where hey when everything seems like it's going good and we're going to go out and do ministry and and serve the Lord personally or publicly or whatever the case may be that watch out you know <laughs> uh, there's probably going to be opposition at some point But it says that there's a great commotion about the way. And obviously that's Christianity. They called themselves the way at the time. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in John 14. Um, But it seems like today that would be very similar to today with the world up in arms about Christian morality, uh, mocking it, defying it, or being tolerant of anything but Christian morality or real morality, really. You know, that this word commotion is no small stir. that, That everyone was getting wrapped up in this commotion that was being stirred up by these guys. You know this uh these guys were silversmiths um idolatry they made idols to diana and uh, i did a little study on diana uh this greek god and i'll read a little bit about it um uh, there's a link in the notes if you want to learn more about it just to get context but basically in roman mythology uh, diana was the goddess of the hunt the moon and childbirth being associated with wild animals in the woodland and having the power to talk to and control animals uh, eventually she was equated with the Greek god Artemis. Remember the Greeks and the Romans and the Romans took over and they had different gods and eventually they merged into one system. So sometimes these gods have two names, um, you know, Diana being uh, Roman and Greek Artemis, but she was known to be the virgin goddess of childbirth and women. Uh, she was one of the three main goddesses um, who swore never to marry. Um, uh, the word actually is derived from day or daylight or daytime. Um, you know, they also committed her to that uh, with the shine of the moon to where this whole idea of the daytime or the shine or women or power or hunting or prosperity <coughs> and childbirth uh, was this God that they worshipped. Um, you know, that she was also one who gave the authority to rule. Uh, they had this whole idea of gods uh, being involved. Some of the gods had intimate relations with people to the point where they affected your life and others were more standoffish and just kind of had a general role. Um, You know, they they describe here what she looked like: that she had a tunic and hunting boots and things, holding a bow or a quiver um, with deer or hunting dogs. But she was regarded with great reverence as a patroness of lower-class citizens uh, who were called plebeians at the time. You know, the plebeians and the um, patricians-I remember that from high school-but were of slaves that they could receive asylum in her temple. So she was the people's people. You know, she was the people's candidate. She was the people's god. She brought prosperity and power and and uh, childbirth these important things to them Um, you know we even uh, it's interesting that she still lives on today in certain languages like romanian the word for fairy is very similar to diana and even portuguese shooting target and morning call so this influence still carries on today in certain cultures Um, you know uh, she was usually depicted for educated romans um, and her Greek guys are the deer. You know, some Romans got her in marble, but we see here that these guys were in silver. But it's interesting that today there is even a branch of Wicca named for her, which is characterized by an exclusive focus on the feminine aspect of the divine, to where it's almost like God is a woman, and that being a female is this superior thing. And you know, we know that through the gospel that men and women are created equal in God's sight. Different roles, but um, uh, certainly equal in God's sight. But we see that there's this witchcraft that follows it. You can even see that in our culture today. Um, you know, to even where Diana was queen of the witches. Um, you know, it's interesting that this is this is the God that they're worshiping. This is the God that they make idols to, that uh, because she was a God of a commoner, that most people probably would spend a lot of money to get a little silver shrine made up. You know, silver is expensive. You know, uh, I was watching a video the other day on, on silver and... Uh, uh, the idea of having silver in case of an economic collapse or anything like that, where if you invest in silver, it's actual currency. You know, we know the the known value of it. That um, you know that there's even less of it than gold. Um, although the value of silver is like I think it's seventeen or eighteen dollars an ounce, and gold is way more, like twelve hundred or something an ounce. But this idea that you know you might you might make an investment in this idol because you want prosperity, because you want childbirth, because you want your hunt to be good, you want to make sure there's food in the fridge, you want there to be power in your life so to speak and that's what these guys are all about you know uh that uh it's interesting that that given what we just read in the last chapter about a bunch of witches and sorcerers and magicians just burned millions of dollars of books and turned to jesus and now these guys who have this idol get upset because these people are turning away from idolatry and turning away from a a god at one point in history who would be associated with witchcraft uh, but it says in verse 25 that they had prosperity by this trade. That this trade of making idols, making little this little silver god or this big silver god for the everyday man to have in their house um, was their livelihood. That everyone worshipped. Everyone, you know, this market needed idolatry. And they built their whole careers around this idolatry. They bought the tooling. They bought the silver. They had the connections. This was their skill and their trade. And it was an important commodity for them. They made money. They made profit off it. I'm sure they profit, profited nicely off of selling this thing. If people wanted it and thought that they needed it, you can charge whatever you want. I mean, look at luxury companies like Apple, it's charging you that much money for a phone or a computer or uh, even car companies or clothing companies where it's, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, is it Gap, Banana Republic, and Old Navy? It's all the same company, but it's three tiers of selling prices. Old Navy's supposed to be like the bargain one, Gap's supposed to be a little market, and then Banana Republic's supposed to be super rich, but it's it's all the same company, you know, it's the same stuff. They just throw a different tag on it. And that's the same thing here. They're making money off of the people off of perceived uh need there. Uh, but again, you know, that this their complaint was that it wasn't just Ephesus. It wasn't just a local problem that they were encountering, but it was everywhere. Um, that hey guys, this problem's not going to blow over. The whole region's turning away from idolatry. We're not even going to sell our idols down the street. You know, our eBay store is going to fail. You know, we're not going to make the money we need to make. This whole region's in trouble. You know, this idea of economic woes and, and world policy. And on top of that, they said that their trade would fall into disrepute. You know, we wouldn't want that, would we? We wouldn't want to be looked down upon. You know, you wouldn't want to be the used car salesman of the day. Um, uh, you know, but it, it really, to me, it sounds like a mob boss run union meeting. If you ever think of like a mob movie or you know guys with those uh, Brooklyn accents, you know that uh, they're running this union. They get everyone together. We're going to get everyone in the union together. Everyone in the union is going to go out and protest. Everyone in the union is going to go out and do this thing. Uh, but they didn't want to be be a business of ill repute. People looked up to these guys, but if you're not buying idols anymore, they're not going to look up to it anymore. Um, you think of like places like adult bookstores or CD bars and restaurants. You know these places are ill repute. You don't really look up to someone who owns one of these things. I mean, uh, maybe people do today, but you know, at least where I'm coming from, it's not looked up on. You know, um, you know. But I, I've read stories about great revivals in history where entire towns get saved and bars close down because no one wants to go out and get drunk anymore. So there's no need to have a bar. Um, uh, to do that. And that's what these guys are afraid of, that as the gospel goes out, they're losing their livelihood. So let's go on. In verse 28, it says, Now when they heard this, all these guys together in this union, they, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the, uh, into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Uh, verse 33, And they drew Alexander out of the multitude of the Jews, putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hand, and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when the people found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And we'll stop there for right now. You know, as they have this union meeting, they leave the union meeting and an uproar, shouting, Great is the Diana of the Ephesians, as they're angry, ready to go out and, and um, you know, uh, enact their revenge and get their way. You know, they're rioting and how great their God is. And I ask, If she was so great, would they have to riot for her would they have to make a commotion for her uh you know wouldn't her greatness be evidenced um you know if a team is if your sports team is really good you know the numbers don't lie they've got all the wins all the season they've got all the rbis or whatever they've got all the stats that go beyond them they've got all the great players but if your team's not so good you kind of have to fight for it you know i remember in hockey there would be uh You know, teams that wouldn't be doing so well, and they would have a lot of guys called, like, enforcers on the team, a bunch of brute guys who would just go around and and beat up the other team so they could try and get an advantage over them. Um, And maybe that doesn't happen so much more today, but really, that's that's sort of it. You know, if you can't can't beat them, you know, with your stats and with your skill, you're going to beat them up, that bully mentality. But what do the Islamists shout today? They say, Allah Akbar. God is greater. Well, greater than who. Greater than who. You know, if your God is so great, why do you have to force him on the entire world? If your God is so great, why do you fear fear him so much that uh you don't even know what's gonna happen when you die? You know? Because he's not great. If you need to force it on me in that way, he's not great. He's not great. If you need to convince me, it's not good. You need to convince me it's good, it's not good. It's like you see someone in a bad relationship and you're like, Bro, this this just isn't working out for you. I don't think it's good for you like oh no it's great blah, blah, blah. but you're, you know we haven't seen you in so many days you know uh she's taking all this money from you whatever the case may be there's all this evidence and they get in an uproar about it because they don't want to see the truth in it and that's what happens here is you know what is the result of all this writing what is the result of ah, great ephesians you know whatever uh you know it's confusion that nobody really knew what was going on. you know they all got worked up as they went down the street, more people joined them, and more people, "Oh hey, they're talking about Diana. Oh, yeah, I'd worship Diana. Let me go down with you, and they get sucked into this crowd and this thing that's going on. And it's just confusion, it's absolute confusion. And what is First Corinthians 14:33 says it says, "For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of saints, that if there's confusion in our lives, if there's confusion about a situation. Well, know that it's not the Lord putting a spirit of confusion on you. It's not the Lord who wants you to be confused. It's okay to be confused about things. Trust me, I'm confused about a lot of things a lot of times. But you know the way out of it is by seeking the Lord. And I think sometimes uh, when we're feeling confused, it's because the flesh is probably involved. Maybe it's someone else's flesh trying to confuse us. You know, buying a car and you've got to buy it now. I've got someone else looking at it too. Well, okay, well let them buy it. I'll find another one. Or, um, you know, maybe it's in, a, in your own life. Maybe it's got desires. You don't know what's right and what's wrong. Well, pray about it. God will begin to clear that confusion as we spend time with him. But at this point, you know, Paul wants to go in there. And I asked Paul, are you nuts? <laughs> you know, another riot and you want to go right into the middle of the theater where everyone's gathering? Um, you know, I don't, I, he wasn't afraid to die. He died already and he was willing to go in. And he's like, hey, a bunch of people riding, rioting. Let me get in there and let me, let me, let me minister somehow to them. But I think the disciples had a little grain of wisdom here and said, uh, not that Paul was being unwise, but they don't let him do it. They say, no, Paul, no, no, no. This is, this is about to explode. This is bad. Uh, stay away from this. You know, uh, it would be like throwing gasoline on a fire if Paul went in there because these people weren't ready to receive the gospel. These people were a confused, riotous mob. But if you ever had a kitchen fire, you know you know that there's different types of ways to put things out you know you don't want to pour water on a grease fire because it'll spread the grease you know you want to you want to smother it or put baking soda on it you know you get different types of fire extinguishers um and that's the same thing here that paul going in here was not going to put this fire out um uh, it was raging uh, it was a grease fire it was a flesh fire but these local government officials who were friends with paul a couple guys in the area maybe they got saved maybe they're just friends with paul because they knew what kind of man he was and as paul was around um They find out what's going on, and so they send their messengers to Paul. They say, Paul, please, don't go in there. This riot is out of hand. We know you're in the area. We know you want to go in there. Do not go in there, please. For your sake, for the city's sake, for our sake, we don't want this to get any worse. We need to put this out. Uh, We need to put it up in control, that there's a lot of stake here, and that there are going to be consequences from Rome if this wasn't calmed down. Rome would come in. If this didn't calm down, Rome would put in new leaders. Rome would come in with the soldiers, and they'd be in a lot of trouble. And I think that the key here is knowing what battles the fight and what wars to rage. You know, Proverbs talks about a fool, you know, in Proverbs 23, 9, not to speak in the hearing of a fool, for he's going to despise the wisdom of your words. Or fourteen seven, go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. That there's times when we're just supposed to totally ignore fools and say, all right, I've tried talking to you. You obviously don't, obviously don't have a desire for wisdom in you, so I'm not going to waste my words anymore. Um, You don't have to be rude about it, but really just this idea of being cognizant of that, that we don't need to keep keep going down the same path. And Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. If a fool is doing something foolish, don't try and answer it in him. You'll just become a fool with him. And even the next verse seems to contradict. It says, uh, and 26, verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And yet at the same time, there's another time that when a fool is doing something foolish, you get up in his face in a sense, and you answer him according to it. That less he thinks he's wise, you know. You got to knock him down and say, "Bro, it's foolish. It's foolish." You know. You answer him and you you refute his argument and it shows just how foolish they are. You know. I think that this shows that there's a time and a place for everything, but this wasn't the place and this wasn't the time for Paul to get involved any more of this. You know. God had been working. God had been moving. God had done things in the last few chapters. People had gotten saved, and this was just sort of. You know, the little fire that cropped up uh, in opposition to what God was doing. It was the flesh revolting against the work of the spirit. And God didn't need any more help from Paul here. God didn't need uh, Paul to defend him at this point. You know, this would, uh, God would work this out another way. But it says in verse 32 that the assembly was confused. That this whole mob, even though they're all there and they're all there in the name of Diana, they they don't really know what's going on. They're all just angry. They're all just all over the place. It's, It's really a riotous unorganized mess. Some people were yelling one thing. Others were another, you know, it doesn't say exactly what they were yelling, but apparently I guess some were upset for what they were talking about at this meeting. Some were upset for other reasons. You know, maybe they were bringing up their other gripes. Like the rent is too high or taxes are too high or Diana, you know, like whatever, Diana, you know, maybe they just all had uh, different things going on. Uh, but they were all there thinking they were, you know, they, it was just a mess. Um, you know, uh, and I think about the people today who protest today against certain viewpoints or political figures. You know, what are they even protesting, and why? You know, I see have seen clips of some people protesting certain things, and I go, "Why are you even saying that?" You know, this view has nothing to do with you, and yet somehow they're whipped up into a frenzy over it. Somehow they're adamantly against something, and yet it has nothing to do with them, or adamantly for something. Um, you know, they're just confused, and they're riled up they're riled up and that's what uh the world loves to play on. if we can get people up and riled up and confused we can do whatever we want so at this point they pull alexander out uh one of paul's guys from macedonia and the crowd really singles him out at this point. They just find this guy. They know he's associated with him. They pull him out in the middle. And he has barely to do anything with anything at this point. They make him this scapegoat, someone to blame, a target. And I think the last person you want to be in a, in a, a crowded mob is the one that the, the crowded, confused, upset, disorganized, fleshly mob begins to point their fingers at. So he goes, wait. He tries to put his hands up and say, wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. Let me explain. Let me explain. Um, but nothing, nothing. Um, Goes on here. They don't even let him get to it because they find out that he's Jewish, and so that makes them angry being Greeks. And they yell for two hours the same slogan over and over. Two hours! Greatest Diane of the Ephesians! Greatest. I mean, think about that. That's insanity. It's madness. It's madness. But let's go on. in. In verse 35, it says, When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, Um, He said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? You know that, hey, Zeus even let her image come down. This is a godly thing that happened here, he says. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers or temple of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering gathering, excuse me. And when he had said these things he dismissed the assembly you know eventually the city clerk gets up there gets on the bullhorn so to speak and begins to calm everyone down you know he argues hey hey hey, relax we know everyone in the world knows that if ephesus is the city of diana where there's no danger of the city losing its clout of diana moving somewhere else we know that god that zeus our god sent diana down here we have the image everywhere. we know it just looks like don't worry don't worry it's not going anywhere But, you know, where's Diana emphasis today, you know, in a history book. But he argues that they should find a real crime. Hey, calm down, guys. Is there a real crime? Do you have a real reason to be in an uproar here? You know, let's cut through the confusion. Yeah, Demetrius and these silversmiths are upset that they're losing business. But have these guys robbed a temple? Have these guys gone out picketing Diana? No, they haven't. No, they haven't. So, you know, let's get a real crime going on here. You know, we've got the lawyers in the other room. If you want to bring charges, we'll get the proconsuls out here. They'll come out here and bring charges. We'll do a lawful assembly. You know, he's saying, hey, guys, we still need to follow law here. Um, you know, he's like, if some criminal is taking place, let's take care of it. You know, otherwise the boot's coming down on us. The Roman boot is, or sandal is going to be on us. You know, I think um, I don't think he cared about Paul. I don't think he cared about what was really going on there. I think he cared about covering his own skin and making sure that the city was in order, that he wasn't going to get in trouble, that they weren't going to get in trouble. And he appeals to them in that sense for, hey, relax, (laughs) nothing's going to change. Our society's not changing, but let's not get in trouble here. You know, let's not get in trouble. You know, And he reasons with them based on their false beliefs. He says in verse 36, these, these things cannot be denied. He's saying, this is reality, guys. Dying is real. You can't deny it. Um, and I think that that's kind of scary. You know, does that sound familiar today? About things that cannot be denied? Um, maybe in our, in our culture, free speech or freedom of thought or freedom of religion that's going by the wayside. Because you can't deny evolution, gang. You can't deny climate change, everybody. You can't deny someone's right to claim that they're a woman or a man or use whatever bathroom they want, to, they want to use. You can't deny that every, what, really? I'm not allowed to deny that? You're allowed to deny me, but I can't deny what you're saying? You know, I think that certain political sectors want to deny, uh, don't let you deny what they believe. You know, what they say is right and wrong, what they say is factuals. You know, you can't, you can't fight against these things. Um, You know, that there's even the separation that certain sides will call people racists or bigots or uh, twist words in news stories or in articles or in the popular media, and yet none of it's true. And yet, what are they? They are the ones who are really the purveyors of these things. Um, You know, that I think about, it's interesting that Christianity in a sense brought about free speech. That whether the founders of this country or not really were believers or not, they at least had this idea of Christian morals as written to the Constitution. That Christianity brought about free speech, brought about equality, removed slavery, made women equal uh, with men. Uh, we got freedom to the press, uh, printing the Bible, that people do have rights, inalienable rights, given to us by who? The creator, not the government. Um, but really to free people from an authoritarian rule. And, and I don't mean to make this political, but I think to bring it into modern day society, uh, you know, as we've left the true God, we've given ourselves back over to author, 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 I can't even say it, authoritarian rule, where we've said, no, we don't want God in our lives, but we want a dictator. We want uh, the thought police. We want uh, political correctness to rule our lives. You know, even guys, I've got links in the notes here, uh, where Al Gore says, climate change deniers must be punished. And you can read this article. Seriously, for rejecting accepted science. You know, I'm not a scientist, but sincerely, to say that you can't refute what we're saying, that's kind of scary. That's kind of scary that they say, "No, I thought it was science. (laughs) Um, An attorney general, the attorney general of the United States government is looking into prosecuting climate change deniers it says here in news that should shock and anger americans u.s attorney general loretta lynch told the senate judiciary committee on wednesday this was uh, a while ago a few months ago that not only has she discussed internally the possibility of pursuing civil actions against so-called climate change deniers that just not that's not just someone who works in an industry but that's you or me if we wanted to post a blog about it Uh, but she referred to the fbi to consider whether or not it meets the criteria for which she could take action is that not scary now, I'm not saying it's not happening, but I'm not saying it is happening. But the fact that you can't have an opposing view, the fact that you can't look at the data and come to a different conclusion. I mean, think about that. Remember when people thought the world was flat and they persecuted people who said, hey, the world's not flat, it's round, I've got evidence. Think about that. That's scary. you know. Um, there's a movie, the movie about Edward Snowden out, and my wife and I watched the trailer for it. And we're like, wow, this makes a really good movie. Until you sit down and think about it being a real life story, you realize the amount of control that goes on. But I'll get off my soapbox on that. But I'm saying is this idea, this thought control of we know it can't be denied, we know it's true, we know Diana is the real God. Don't you worry about it. It's kind of scary when that's in the public sector um, when they're blinded by their idolatry. And that's exactly what happens when people worship false gods. That they're enslaved to their god and they force others to be enslaved with them that they say hey no th- this is our god we need you to to riot with us because we're stuck in it you know and i'll never force anyone to believe in god because it doesn't work that way yeah i want to share the gospel yeah i want to spread the gospel yeah i want my friends and co-workers to come to know the lord but i'll urge them but i can't make them come i can't you know hold the 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 sword to their neck and say receive jesus you know i could but it doesn't really work that way And yet that's what other religions do, you know, and I'm certainly not going to support their sin and make it easy for them by legalizing it. Uh, But I'm not going to pick at their house. I'm not going to throw stones or hate them. But that's exactly what the world does when we go against their idols. And he says here that this gathering is disorderly. You know, I think that's just like the world. It's a bunch of people fighting for their own way, like the zombie apocalypse. You know, there's no truth, no accountability. Every man for himself. You know, I was at the store yesterday, and last night, grabbing a few things. And, uh, you know, there's this kid down at the end and out looking at stuff. And the thought crossed my mind, like, what? If, I wonder if he's going to steal something. You know, just, he just looked like he was a young kid. And I don't think he was like... Uh, anything wrong, but I just had the sense, well, you know, just this idea. Well, what if you put something in his pocket? Do I just turn my back and not say anything? And I started thinking about the world and how that's sort of the way the world is where every man's for himself. Oh, if he wants to go steal something, let him steal something and do that. Um, but that's what we see here. That is uh, a bunch of people fighting for their own way, fighting to get their own way. And uh, every man for himself, you know, in judges twenty-one, twenty-five says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did was right in their own eyes. When there's no solid leadership, People are going to do whatever they want. Mobs come up and you have to quell the mob and do it. And that's, look in in our nation, there's no solid leadership. And so you have every group forming a mob and wanting their own way, wanting their own way. Um, Second Timothy 3, 1 and 2, we've read this before, but Paul says, that, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. And he goes on saying, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, etc. But the, the scary thing is, the reason why it's a perilous time is that because primarily people become lovers of themselves. We're going to lose our industry. Our industry is going to fall in disrepute. We're not going to make money anymore. We, we I, 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 are going to be in trouble. And that's perilous. You know, uh, who knows who's going to sue you these days? Who knows who's going to lie about you and try and get you fired or, or whatever the case may be or shamed or even take your kids away by trying to twist some lawn? You know, you read about kids in other countries are taken away from being homeschooled because their parents are Christian or their parents don't want to get them vaccinated or, or things of this nature. And it's, well, that, who's the parent? Who's the parent? You know, and, and the other part of me, I mean, again, I'm no scientist, but if you're vaccinated, what are you, what are you afraid of, of the, the kids who don't have it? And I'm not against vaccination, so to speak, but I think we just need to 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 sit down and not drink the Kool-Aid all the time, you know, to say this is, you can't you can't refute these facts, people. But I think, you know, man, I, I just want the Lord to come back. Things are crazy. This is crazy. I don't want to be caught up in this mob. I want the Lord to come back. But with that, we're to stand up for what's right, but in godly ways. We're not to ride back, but we need to stand up in a godly way, in a godly time and in a godly situations that there's a godly time and place to do these things. And we're not to be confused about that truth. We're not to be confused as the world says, this is what's right. You can't refute it. We know what's right. We know what's the truth. We know what reality is. You know, Mia asked the other day, what truth is? And I was like, that's a good question. I said, truth is what's right. Truth is what's real. Truth is God. You know that the reality is that Jesus is is real. I said to her, I said, the truth is I'm your daddy. A lie would be that I'm not your daddy. But that's a lie because we know the truth is that I'm your daddy. And you know the reality, the truth is Jesus. The reality is the cross. And the reality and the truth is the Bible. You know, not what the world says. Not what the latest trend is in identity. You know, that there's no need to be confused in our identity. That the world's truth is not truth. The world's truth is a lie. You know, 1 John 4.3, uh, the second part says, And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. You know that the spirit of the Antichrist is out there. The reason why all these people want to believe these things and are confused and go, because they worship the same God. They worship the Antichrist, anything but Christ. I mean, you hear about the Pope telling Europe to pull down its borders. What is is the Pope doing talking about this stuff? I mean, I'm not Catholic. I'm not a, a Pope fan in general, but sincerely... Isn't this strange? Why is the Pope getting involved in political matters? You think about the spirit of the Antichrist, the end times. I'm not saying that he's a false prophet or anything of that nature, but I'm saying look at at the direction that the world is going in to where these spiritual leaders are all getting on the same page, all getting ready for that final one world system. Uh, and John goes on in 1 John five nineteen twenty one 21, says, We know we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding, that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That again, that we know who God is, and we need to keep ourselves from idols in this last days. And we're just going to read the first six verses real quickly here of chapter 20, because uh, they go along with what we just read. And verse 20 says, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 says, And after the uproar had ceased... Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he did, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater and Berea accompanied him in Asia. Uh, also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and the five days joined them at Trez, where we stayed seven days. So they go on, they continue. Different men join, different men continue. But this uproar finally ceases. It's quelled. It's put down. Paul didn't need to go in there. The flesh just kind of forgets about what's going on and says, "Okay, let's just go about our business," and uh, begins to ignore the reality of the gospel. But Paul gets the disciples together. He moves on, and he encourages this other group with many words. And I think sometimes it takes a lot to be encouraged. Sometimes we have a lot of hurt. We have a lot of fear. We have a lot of worries or experiences or outlook. Or You know, you just read the news. You know, you, you can't just look at the trees all day. You've got to read the news and see what's in the world. And sometimes you need to be encouraged because it is so bleak. It is so dark. But he stays there three months. And again, we see Paul leading of God, following God, a life on the go, a week here, three months here, a couple years here, um, always following the Lord. And, and again, we see men going ahead. We see spiritual men go ahead of other spiritual men. And I think that's important in warfare or business life where they send the salesman out before the business goes. They send out the reconnaissance team before the actual um, army gets there, that there needs to be a solid leading. And I know today is Mother's Day, but I think as men we need to take charge, take the lead, be willing to lead. And I don't mean that in a misogynistic way, but that uh, as men we need holy lives, holy love and, and to be examples and proclaimers of the truth. I think that a lot of problems in society are due to men not being spiritual leaders, to their kids not having fathers, to children not having an example to live up for, or feel like there's someone out there defending them to where they need to join a gang or they need to riot and revolt because they don't have a strong figure in their life that comes to their defense. They feel the need to stand up for themselves in a violent way. Um, you know, Because this world is very confused, this world is very worked up, and this world is very devoid of truth, and yet they claim to worship truth. They claim to worship freedom, but the world has none of these things. And I think in the same way, the world's Diana is its own truth, and they are really threatened by the fact that it really doesn't provide them for anything. And when we bring the gospel in, when the gospel shows that it is real and it does have power, they don't like it. So uh, with that, let's close. And uh, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that we don't need to be confused in you. Uh, Lord, uh, God, you remain. That no matter what happens in the world, God, your word remains. And it uh, never returns void. And God, I ask that if there's any confusion in our lives about what to do, you would make our past clear uh, individually, but also as a group of believers, that you would guide us and lead us um, these next days and weeks. Uh, wherever you'd have us go for however long you'd have us be there we pray god that you would do that bless my friends here uh, my family cover them and keep them and god help us to be examples in the right time and in the right way uh, by your spirit we love you god and we thank you for your word in jesus name amen